Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. What's up, Lake Point family? Great to see you guys. My name is Mike Bro, and I'm on the teaching team. So glad to have you here. I want to welcome all of our campuses, those of you that might be joining us online as well. And maybe you're brand new to Lake Point. So honored that you are here uh, this weekend. And perhaps you've been hearing about this young, good-looking, energetic, dynamic pastor. He ain't here. You got me for the next four weeks, actually, which is kind of cool for me anyway. Sorry for you guys, but I, I don't often get to do an entire series, and I can't tell you how honored and humbled I am to get to do it, but I'm super excited to introduce you to the greatest person who ever lived. I, I can talk about basketball all day. I can talk about renovation, construction projects all day. I, can, I love telling people about my kids and my grandkids, but there is no one I would rather talk about than Jesus Christ. He changed my life. And I just can't wait for you to meet him or perhaps get to know him better. If you've been really wondering what God is like, you're going to find out over the next four weeks. See, for years, I've told you before, I, I thought that God was just mad at me, that God was ticked, that he was disappointed. He was even disgusted by me. But when I started to hear the things that Jesus said and I saw the way that he interacted with people and unconditionally loved them, it revealed to me how inclusive God really is. I mean, Jesus intentionally hung out with quote-unquote undesirables to prove once and for all there is no such thing as an undesirable in the eyes of God. In fact, the people who were least like Jesus liked Jesus. And Jesus liked them, and it gave me hope that he might like a guy like me too. I helped lead a little Bible study with a bunch of uh, brand-new, raw guys uh, most of them studying the Bible for the very first time in their life. And we were going through the Gospel of John, which is all about the life of Jesus. And right in the middle of a story that we're unpacking in the Gospel of John, this guy just blurts out a cuss word. He goes, blank, Jesus was blank and awesome. And I went, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And he is. And my prayer for this series is you would find Jesus to be awesome too. We're calling this series Shoes, and as you already saw, we were collecting shoes during the series to, to give away and distribute to those who are in need, so bring your shoes for the next three weeks, and uh, we're also going to try to put our feet in different pairs of shoes of people who encounter Jesus. I, I think it was uh, that great theologian, uh, Forrest Gump, who said from a park bench, my mama said, you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes, where they been, where they going how they got there. I bet if I thought, I bet if I thought, I thought real hard, I could remember my first pair of shoes, 
my mama said, there's my magic shoes. I, I'm sorry, I get a little carried away here. I'm just, uh, <laughs> but but here's, here's, here's my point. What, what do your shoes say about you? I mean, some shoes make like this really colorful, bold fashion statement. Other people's shoes say, I'm, I'm a little more reserved. Or some shoes say, I'm a runner. Some shoes say, I'm a skater. Some shoes, I'm a, I'm a baller. Or I'm a cowboy. Or I'm rocking the Crocs because I work in a hospital or a restaurant. And I'm like on my feet all day long. The shoes that I am wearing today pretty much say that I'm in the simplicity and thrift store finds. That's basically my shoes. And as much as I like my shoes, I know I need to occasionally step into your shoes. Or at least try them on. See, I believe we become a little bit more like Jesus every time we try to walk in each other's shoes. When we try to empathize with each other, our capacity to love expands. We become less judgmental. We become less cynical. We become more patient with other people, become kinder, more tactful, more gentle, more kind, more understanding. And man, couldn't our world use a lot more of that? So over the next several weeks, we're going to meet some real people just like us, people wearing different kinds of shoes, People from different backgrounds, different heritage, different lifestyles, different family dynamics, people with real issues, real struggles, real hopes and dreams, just like us. And I think that you are going to be absolutely captivated by the way Jesus meets them right where they are, the way they are, and the way he loves them and encourages them and challenges them, the way he looks deep inside of them and speaks right into the dark and broken places in their soul. And hopefully each week, it's my prayer, that all of us will walk away like they did, completely changed. And next week, we're going to try on a pair of shiny uh, black uh, wingtips. And then week three, we're going to lace, lace up a pair of old work boots. And then we're going to wrap it all up by pulling on a pair of football cleats. But today, we're going to start by slipping on a pair of these. Now, now please know, if you own a pair like this, I'm not making a general statement about your lifestyle. I'm just using them today to represent the woman that we're going to meet in this story today. This story is actually my favorite story in the entire Bible. I think it is because it blows away all the misperceptions you might have of what you think God is like. It's found in John chapter 8 of the New Testament section of the Bible. If you have a Bible, you can turn to that, or if you've got an app that you use, or we'll put it on the screens as well. But words like embarrassed, ashamed, Guilty, exposed, dirty, filthy, broken, used, trapped, worthless, afraid. Those words describe her. Arrogant, proud, self-righteous, judgmental, angry, sinister, scheming, treacherous, abusive, heartless. Those words describe them. Calm, cool, composed, compassionate, and in complete control, those words describe him. Here's the story, John 8. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put or threw her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone women like this. What do, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. Now, Jesus often taught 
out in front of the temple, and the Pharisees knew there would be large crowds there, so there would be lots of witnesses. You see, these religious leaders, they've been trying to get rid of Jesus for a long time now. This was all just a big political game to them. They were trying to destroy his credibility with the people. If Jesus were to say that the woman should not be stoned, then they could accuse him in front of all these people of violating the letter of Mosaic Old Testament law. If he were to urge them to go ahead and execute her, then they would report him to the Romans who did not permit the Jews to carry out their own executions. So Jesus was fully aware that this was nothing more than a trap. Also, Jewish law required in cases like this that they bring both the man and the woman. So where's the guy? I mean, this is obviously just a big setup. Now, I don't know, maybe they paid off a Roman soldier since he wasn't under Jewish religious law and said, man, we'll give you a hundred bucks if you can seduce and sleep with that girl. What girl? That girl. Done. They knew that she had that kind of reputation, so she would be easy prey. However it all played out, they just set up the whole thing. I mean, how else do you catch someone in the act? They knew who she was, where she would be, and at what time they used her. Pharisees did that a lot. They used and devalued people all the time. Their extreme legalism blinded them to the grace and the love of God and to the worth of other people. They can't see the intrinsic worth of this girl. They just use her as a pawn in their religious chess game, like the sex traffickers of our day. They have no concern for her. They have no use for her. She's only a means to their end. So they set her up, grab her in the act, pull her out of the house, drag her through the streets with probably nothing on but a sheet that she tries to grab in desperation on her way out. They throw her down in the dirt in front of all these people and Jesus. Matt Chandler tells about a time when he was a freshman in college. He became friends with a young single mom who really wanted to begin to know God. She had a rough life. So one night, uh, he and some friends invited her to go to a Christian concert, and she went along. After the concert, this preacher got up and said he was going to be talking about sex. At the beginning of the sermon, he held up a rose. And he talked about how this was a perfect rose, beautiful with all the petals, all the leaves, and he smelled this rose. It just smells beautiful. Then he throws it into the crowd and tells them to pass it around and smell it through this large room. Then he started talking in very angry terms about sexual sin, very accusatory, very judgmental kind of way. Then after the rose had been passed all the way through the audience, he asked for the rose from the last person who had it, and it was broken and a bunch of the petals were gone and stuff. So he stood up and announced to the crowd, no one would want this rose now. It's been touched by everybody. Who would want a rose like this? Who would buy a rose like this? And Matt said he was squirming in his seat and looked over at his new friend who had her head down, tears rolling down her face. And he just wanted to stand up and scream, Jesus would. Yeah, Jesus would want that rose. Jesus would pay anything for that rose. And he would. I want to show you what I think is one of the coolest verses in the entire Bible. Four words that might forever change the way you see God. Verse 6, but Jesus stooped down. Isn't that cool? Jesus stooped down. Why? Because that's where she was. 
That's where she was. He gets down on her level. Everybody else is towering judgmentally over her. She sits ashamed down in the dirt. They all got rocks in their hands. They're yelling profanities. They're calling her names. And she's just trying to cover up her nakedness, grab some dignity. She is scared to death, literally. And Jesus stoops down. He does that, you know. Jesus stoops down to meet you right where you are. He gets right down in the dirt with you and me. Isn't that a cool thought that God gets down and dirty with us? Because some of you think that God does tower over you with holy wrath. He's just ready to drop the hammer of judgment on you. Just the contrary. Jesus stoops down. He gets down in the dirt and filth of our world, right into the shame and regret of our life, right in the middle of our mess, our hurts, our shame, our addictions, our embarrassment. And I've been praying that you would look up and see him there. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now I've often wondered, what was he writing in, in the dirt, in, in, in the sand there? Some have conjectured different things, like he was writing down all the different sins for the crowd to see so that they would be convicted of their own sins in the moment. Uh, some believe that since uh, God wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger, maybe Jesus writes the first line in the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And that text would declare all of them guilty of adultery. I don't know what Jesus was writing. It's one of the questions I want to ask him when I get to heaven. And man, I've got a long list, don't you? But I think, just personally, it, it would probably be really hard for the crowd to even see what he was writing in the dirt. I think that as he knelt in front of this downcast woman who's avoiding eye contact with anybody, she's just staring down at the dirt. He begins to write right in front of her where only she could see. And I don't know, but maybe he was writing down all the Aramaic words for the emotions she was feeling. Maybe he wrote down ashamed, swept it away. Worthless, swept it away. Unloved, swept it away. Dirty, filthy, guilty, God loves you. Verse 7, they, the religious leaders, kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. He stoops down again, right back to her level. And I don't know, maybe this time he writes, forgiven. I, I keep this rock on our fireplace mantle at home. It says, first stone, John 8, 7. I keep it there to remind me that I have no right to throw stones at anybody else. And also help me remember the rock I crawled out from under when Jesus found me. Because, man, we have a tendency to stand over fallen people, don't we? We can stand there with rock in hand and we can throw out self-righteous judgment and disgust and we can say, can you believe what a jerk that guy is? I mean, I knew she had a reputation like that, but I didn't think she would ever do that. You know what? They're going to get what they deserve. And while we pick up stones, Jesus stoops down. He gets eyeball to eyeball with fallen people, and his eyes are full of grace and truth. Verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. 
Now, I always thought this would be such a cool scene in a movie because I got a little director stuff wired up inside of me. So I got this wide camera shot of the crowd of people, and it shows this angry mob silently walking away, and rocks are hitting the ground, and the dust is flying up in slow motion. And as the crowd dissipates, the, the camera gradually zooms in, and the acoustic soundtrack kicks in, and there they are, just Jesus and this woman, both on their knees right in the middle of the street. I just think it'd be such an awesome scene. Can you imagine the emotions going through her mind in this moment? I mean, put yourself in her shoes for a second. What would you be feeling? Confused? Ashamed? Embarrassed? Grateful? I imagine she cannot shut off the flow, and I believe her tears are hitting the ground, making little dark circles in the dust right next to where Jesus has been riding. It says, then Jesus stood up again. And I think when he stands up, he helps her up because that's just his nature. He wasn't going to leave this fallen woman in the dirt by herself because he just never, never towers over fallen people. He stoops down and he helps her up and I think maybe even embraces her and dries her tears. And then with his hands on, his, on her shoulders, says to the woman, look around. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I go sin no more the Jesus Jesus the one who came full of grace and truth says you're not guilty anymore you've been forgiven now go and live grateful for this second chance change your lifestyle because here's the truth it doesn't have to be like this you don't have to keep looking for love in all the wrong places because you are standing right now in front of unfailing love you need to know that you are accepted, you are significant, you are priceless, you are so worth it that the God of the universe stooped down into the dirt to be with you. Go and sin no more. What do you think was going through her mind as she walked away? You see, gang, Jesus came to give us life. He came to stoop down into the dirt of our anger, our envy, our lust, our greed, our failure, our regret, our self-centeredness to lift us up, embrace us, forgive us, set us free, and change us. Your past can be a thing of the past. I was thinking how guilt is a really strange emotion, isn't it? A bunch of little kids were asked to describe what a guilty conscience was like, and one little six-year-old girl answered this way, a guilty conscience is a pot inside of you that burns if you're not good. A little seven-year-old boy said this, a guilty conscience is feeling bad when you kick girls or little dogs. <laughs> and what they were trying to say is guilt is this thing inside of all of us that says, whoa, I, that didn't feel right. I think I crossed the line here. I'm not sure that was right. It's in all of us. My, my friend Charlie Gerber, who's a brilliant counselor, showed me one day a little, a little acrostic he came up with a, on guilt. He says that from God's perspective, guilt is a very good thing. The acrostic reads like this. It's God's unique, intentional, loving treatment. That's guilt from God's perspective. God's unique, intentional, loving treatment. In its purest form, guilt is like that, you know, check engine light on the dashboard of your car that lets you know that something not quite right is going on under the hood. And I think God put that in all of us to let us know that we got something in there that we need to deal with. So from God's perspective, guilt is actually a very good thing. But as you might imagine, the original identity thief, 
He takes what God made for good and distorts it and takes it to another extreme. Here's the acrostic for guilt from Satan's perspective. Grief united in lifelong torment. Grief united in lifelong torment. See how that fits his agenda to steal, kill, and destroy? You see, he loves to see us stay in the dirt. He loves to see the past dominate us. He loves to see guilt stay unresolved because if we never deal with the guilt, guess what happens? It will morph into shame. And shame is a whole other level. Luce Meads describes it this way. He says, the difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he or she did something wrong. A person feels shame because he or she is something wrong. See the difference? There's a stupid story about this woman who would walk down the street every day to work, and she'd walk by this pet store. And as she walked by a pet store, this parrot in the window would say, hey, lady. She'd go, what? He'd go, you're ugly. He'd go, what? Really offended her, you know. Well, the next day she's walking by the pet store, same thing. The parrot's in the window say, hey, lady. She goes, what? He goes, you're ugly. He goes, I'm not taking this. She walks into pet store and says, I want to talk to the manager. Says, every time I come by your store, that stupid bird in the window insults me. I'm not going to take it. You better shut him up. Manager says, ma'am, I am so sorry he's doing that. I promise you it'll never, never happen again. This is so stupid. <laughs> Next day, she's she, she walking down the street, walks by the pet store. The parrot goes, hey, lady. She goes, what? He goes, you know. <laughs> oh, sorry. The Bible calls Satan, who is the enemy of our soul, the thief, the father of lies, and our accuser. And all he has to say sometime is, you know, come on, look at you in church. You know who you really are. You know, you're an addict, you're a pervert, you're a junkie, you're a failure, you're a drunk, man. You're, you're tainted, you're, you're dirty, you're irreversibly stained, you're, you, you know. You're so stupid, you're so fat, you're so ugly, you're so lazy, you're so unloved, you're so alone, always have been, always will be. Just face it, that's just who you are. And so our true identity gets hacked, and we stop believing in our God-given worthiness, and we start hustling for it by constantly striving and performing and pleasing, improving and perfecting. And then guess who becomes your biggest accuser? You do. And now it's not only the enemy whispering, you are so stupid. Your self-talk becomes, I'm so stupid. I'm so ugly. I'm so unwanted. I'm so alone. And we start believing lies like, I'll be worthy when I can lose 20 pounds. I'll be worthy if I can just get pregnant. I'll be worthy if I can just get sober. I'll be worthy if everybody thinks I'm a good parent. I'll be worthy if I can finally get a scholarship. I'll be worthy if my salary reaches a certain level. I'll be worthy if he calls me back and asks me out. I'll be worthy when my parents finally approve. I'll be worthy only when I can look perfect and act perfect and be perfect. I'm telling you, gang, shame. Shame is an extremely dangerous enemy. But you need to know this. Shame has a dangerous enemy called grace. Shame towers over me and tells me I'm defective. Grace stoops down and tells me I'm valuable. Shame's greatest weapon is the fear of judgment. Grace's even greater weapon is the relief of unconditional love. Shame says that because I'm flawed, I'm unacceptable. Grace says even though I am flawed, I'm absolutely priceless. 
Shame believes the opinion of the crowd is all that matters. Grace believes the opinion of God is all that matters. Shame makes us hide. Grace sets us free. Shame throws rocks. Grace lifts our head. Shame is the language of the thief. Grace is the language of Jesus, the one down in the dirt who says, you are worthy now, not if, not when, right this minute as is. I want you to see what the God of unfailing love has written with his finger, so to speak, into the dirt of our lives. Like this passage, Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am who who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Isaiah 44, I have swept away your sins like the morning mist. I have scattered your offenses like the clouds. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. I love it what it says over in Micah. It says, once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet, and you will throw them into the depths of the sea. And you need to know this about God. He's got a great arm. As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. He says in Hebrews 10, 17, I'll forever wipe the slate clean. Wipe the slate clean of their sins. Romans 8, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So let me ask you, like Jesus asked that woman, where are your accusers now? You need to know today that God is not afraid to show up right in the middle of your mess. He's just not. He's bold enough to deal with your dysfunction He is fearless enough to walk with you through an addiction. He's heroic enough to lift you up out of any abuse or bullying you might have experienced. Jesus is humble enough to stoop down into the dirt and meet you wherever you are right now, just the way you are right now. I'm not sure who wrote this, but I've always loved it. It says, ponder the achievement of God. He doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumed our sin and incredibly, incredibly sentences himself. God's holiness is honored, our sin is punished, and we are redeemed. God does what we cannot do so we can be what we dare not dream, perfect before God. That's what he's done. I've been praying all week long that you would find Jesus kneeling in the dirt today. That you would come face to face, eyeball to eyeball with unconditional love and amazing grace. I've been praying that you would let him sweep away your past. So I'm going to ask all of us, all of our campuses and online as well, just to sit quietly in in the moment for a little while. I want you to watch the screens and just watch Jesus right in the sand and sing this truth over us today. Doesn't matter where you're 
Doesn't matter where you've been Hear me tell you I forgive You're not guilty anymore You're not filthy anymore I love you Mercy is yours You're not broken anymore You're not captive This is true. Grace abundant, I am giving you. Cleansing deeper than you know. All was paid for long ago. You're not guilty anymore. You're not filthy. And he does love you. 
just the way you are. I want to meet you here today, wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself. And like I said, I've been praying that you would look up and find him there, that you would meet the God of compassion and grace, the God who stoops down in the dirt to lift us up. So I'm going to invite you today to meet him. I'm going to lead us through a prayer time and maybe just uh, wherever you're at, whether you're online or one of our campuses, just bow your head right now and uh, maybe just in your own words. I'm not going to give you a formula prayer or anything, just something like, Jesus, I'm here. I'm down in the dirt. I want to be forgiven. I want the slate wiped clean. I want my past to be a thing of the past. Right now, in this moment, I want you to be the lifter of my head. I want you to be the forgiver of my sin. I want you to show me a new way to walk. I need your help. And I want to let you lead my life. So any kind of prayer like that is from honest heart, just you and God. Just give us some space to pray that prayer. If you're praying a prayer like that right now, I'm telling you, it's, this could be one of the greatest days of your life where you open up your heart to the healing power of Jesus Christ. He comes in to give you life. And uh, just while we all got our heads bowed and stuff, if this is a prayer you're praying right now, would you just mind slipping your hand up in the air so I could see you and be able to pray for you? Father, thank you for every humble heart in this place right now. Thank you for everyone right now who is acknowledging they need a Savior. They need someone that loves them enough to get down in the dirt with them. Just meet them where they are. God, I know, you know, you found me. And when we meet you there, there's just this humility that changes lives. And I thank you for what's happening right now in the hearts of so many people. Father, thank you for uh, new life and hope and grace. Thank you that you call us yours. I'm so grateful for uh, your unfailing love. There's nothing like it in this world. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, painting such a picture today. And cannot wait to get to know you better over the next four weeks. And I pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, would you guys celebrate those today who made a decision to follow Christ? Yeah. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.